0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Ministries. Each week we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, my name is Gabriel Medina and I get the blessing of starting us off in our Advent series. I wanted to ask you a question as we start. If you were to go to your neighbors or to just your coworkers and ask them, what do Christians believe about Christmas? Like, why do Christians celebrate Christmas? Think about it. What do you think they would say? Would they keep it at, you know, oh, it's just this season where they celebrate this baby just being born? You know, is Christmas really about just, we really like babies and there's just this baby named Jesus and let's just celebrate about it? Or is there something deeper to it? The reason why i ask that is because i think us as a culture a christian culture in this area and in the united states we have failed at the opportunity every year our culture gives us an opportunity for us to tell them something about the gospel and how have we failed in that how many people would not even know the reason why we celebrate christmas How many people would just leave it at, it's just this baby being born? Or do they know why we celebrate this son coming to do something, right? And so this Advent season, it's titled, To Us a Son is Given. And we're going to be looking at four promises that God made through the Old Testament and one in the New Testament of a son to be given. He comes in to redemptive history, and throughout redemptive history, we see at least four times where He comes to somebody and promises a son to not just be born to them, but so that this son might do something. And so, we're going to be looking at four promises that God made throughout redemptive history to four different people. And so, to us, a son is given, and this week, we're going to be going over Jesus, the son of Eve. The next week, Jesus, the son of Abraham. Then week number three, Jesus, the son of David. And then week number four, Jesus, the son of Mary. And we're not just looking at Jesus being born as a baby. That is not what is important about Christmas. We're looking at the effects that this son has on the world and the promises that God made to a people to bless the world, to change the world he is not a baby. He came in the flesh to do something. And so we're going to be talking about today, Jesus, the son of Eve. What was Eve promised in the garden that this son would do for her and for the rest of her children? Amen? So let me pray to prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, you are very kind to us. Over and over again, you You show your grace to us. We have all sinned and fall short of your glory, for the wages of sin is death, but you give us a free gift, a free gift from your Son, and we thank you for constantly bringing us back, constantly covering us with His blood, constantly forgiving us, being gracious to us, being kind to us. I just ask that this morning you would be glorified through the preaching of your word, That you'd be glorified as hearts get set free from maybe condemnation or maybe fear of death. But that the preaching of your word, the preaching of your son, the good news that your son came to do would be the thing that excites us, gets us up, and saves us and changes us. So I ask Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us, fill us, speak to us this morning. We praise things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Jesus, the Son of Eve, the way we're going to work through this message is we're going to be looking at three points. So, point number one, we're going to be the problem. Point number two, the promise. And point number three, the solution. And so, point number one, the problem. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to kind of jump around. In Genesis 2 and 3. So, Genesis 2, starting in verse 7 and 9. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed." And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then jump down to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then jump down to Genesis 3 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So, what's the problem? The problem is that God commissioned, He formed this man, He placed him in the garden, and He commissioned him to guard it, to keep it. And He says, you can eat of every tree. Look, I've given you so much, but don't eat of this tree. And then what happens We see Adam not fulfill his command, not fulfill his duty as keeper, as guardian over the garden, but he lets his wife be deceived by a serpent. Instead of taking that serpent and stomping on his head, he lets the serpent speak to his wife, deceive her. He is then deceived, and he takes of the fruit. And what happens? Well, what did God promise? If you eat, you will surely die. And so, look with me real quick at Romans chapter 5. Jump over super quick, and then keep your finger in Genesis 3. Sorry, I might have said that too late. (laughs) Too late. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so, what is the problem? The problem is that when Adam took of the fruit, he died. He sinned, and what sin did is killed him. And what happened, because he was the head of this covenant, he was this covenant head, death permeates the land. You know, you guys hear me say this probably every time I preach, I'm talking about the garden. You know, poor young adults, they hear me every Friday talk about this stuff. They have to now hear me on Sunday morning say the exact same things. Sorry, Jordan. Sorry, Abby. But it's so important. Adam, because if we get this right, I think it's going to help us understand the work of Jesus. Adam was our covenant head. Do this and live, do this and die. And if he would have succeeded, the the really cool aspect to this, is if he would have succeeded, where would we be at today? We would be in the new earth. He would have granted us or gave us access to life. We would have had access to the tree as his descendants. He would have gained life for every offspring. Every kid that he would have ever had would have access to the tree of life because of his obedience. But what happens? The problem is that Adam did not do what he was commissioned to do. He was deceived and he took. And so death through one man permeates the whole land. Sin has separated us from God and we feel it. Even people who are non-believers know this to be true. Through their stories, they talk about sin, even though they don't call it sin. Even people who don't believe in original sin know that something has destroyed us. Something has tainted every aspect of our lives. And what is it? And why is it? It's because our first father, Adam, did not do what he was commissioned to do. He failed and he let the serpent, he listened to the serpent and he took and he ate. And so death permeates the whole land. Sin separates us. But if we look at Genesis 3 again, in this... There's this beautiful promise. So God promised them that they would die, yet right away, right away, though they separate themselves from God and they hide themselves, who's the one who draws near to them? It's God. God knows what they did, yet He draws near to them, and while He's cursing the serpent, He drops this beautiful promise to Eve. Look with me at Genesis 3, Starting in verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is what theologians call the proto-ulangelion. It's the mention of the first gospel. It's a beautiful picture. We don't have to wait for God to promise us good news, you know, and, you know, like the middle of the Bible. We see him promising us the gospel in the first book, right when they are separated from him, and deserve death. God, even before He kicks them out of the garden, they get this promise. Isn't that beautiful? They've sinned. They should be separated. They should be kicked out. Yet before they get kicked out, they hear their God, their Creator, their Yahweh God, their covenantal God saying to the serpent this curse, and He curses them by also making a promise. I will bring somebody, an offspring from the woman, to crush your head. Isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful? This is the promise that God made that a son would be given to do something. He doesn't say, and I will bring a baby to Eve and that's it. No, he's like, I will bring this person. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and I'll give her an offspring who's going to crush your head. Yeah, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. How powerful is that to Adam and Eve as they're sitting there waiting for their curses, waiting for God to deal with them, but yet hearing this promise of this seed that's coming from the woman to bless them, to reverse the curse. So look at Isaiah 9, 6. And so all throughout redemptive history, the Jews have been waiting for this seed. If you read Genesis, if you're familiar with Genesis, that seed and offspring imagery is throughout all of the scriptures, all of Genesis, because they're waiting for this person to come. And so they're looking for it. And so genealogies are very important in Genesis because they're waiting for this seed to come. And then Abraham comes on the scene and what has he promised? A son. Ooh, is he going to be the seed? Is he going to be this offspring? They're waiting eagerly for this son to come to reverse the curse, to deal with the serpent, to do what Adam was supposed to do and crush the head. And look at Isaiah 9:6. And again, this is a prophecy 600 700 years before Christ came into the flesh. So this is what the Jews were waiting for. Isaiah 9:6, for to us a child is born, to us will do this. Look at Isaiah 53.5. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. To us, a son is given. The Jews were waiting for this son to come. And if you just look at Isaiah 9.6, You might think this son is going to come and just start ruling and reigning right there and do nothing else, and the Jews thought that. But if you look at Isaiah 53, you know what he has to do. This son has to come and do something. So this son was promised that he would reverse the curse, that he would destroy the works of the devil and his demons, that he would crush the head of the serpent. But the Jews missed the last sentence and you will bruise his heel. Isaiah 53 is showing how the serpent would bruise his heel. By his wounds we are healed. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his chastisement, he brings us peace. As death comes into this world, as death permeates all of us, and as death was promised because of Adam's sin, There is a Son who is promised to us that will bring us peace and will give us life. Let's look at Romans 5.14. I want to show this because this is important. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Look at verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This is really important. What does that mean that Adam was a type of the one who was to come? This is where that covenant head stuff matters. Because again, when I sin, my sin Yes, affects my family. I do believe that. I believe we pass down things. I believe that thing matters. But I am not locking in death for my kids. Who locked in death for us was our covenant head, Adam. Because of him, all die. Now, he is a type of the one who was to come. So what does that mean? Jesus, as he steps on the scene, he is the promised son who is now... Just like Adam, he has promised to have that same role, that if he succeeds, his people will succeed. Amen? And so that promise, they're waiting for a second Adam to do what Adam was to do, to crush the head. He should have taken that snake and threw him, cut off his head, stomped on him, but yet he listened to him. And so the Jews, the people of Israel, were waiting for a second Adam, a son to be given who would reverse the curse. And in Jesus, we find all the promises of God, find their yes and amen in Him. Amen? And so Romans 5, look at verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Or you could just listen to me read it. Hebrews two fourteen through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise, partook of the same things, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So, what does Jesus do? He steps on the scene. He obeys God perfectly. He gets thrown into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What does he do? Does he do what Adam does and stand by and just let the devil speak to him? No, he uses the word of God, rebukes the devil, and tells him to get away. He does what Adam was supposed to do. And then on the cross, even though he's in the garden on his knees, wanting to give up or being tempted to give up, he gets up and he faces the cross. And he on the cross, what we see is this person, not being crucified the way that we see, but he's actually crushing the head of the serpent. On the cross, Jesus tastes death for us. He takes the curse for us. And in so doing, he destroys the works of the devil. But yet, his heel was bruised. So on the cross, we see this deathly blow in our eyes. But what's so cool, to Jesus, to this powerful God we have, to this powerful Savior, that was just a flesh wound. I have this quote from R.C. Sproul. He says, and I quote, We must remember that any power of authority or authority Satan ever has is a delegated authority. As the ultimate authority over death, and everything else is God. But Satan's delegated authority over death is taken from him by Christ. The irony is that Christ's victory over the devil and the power of death is accomplished by means of death. In his death, Jesus is victorious over death. Death cannot hold him, End quote. So, on the cross, Jesus, as He dies, He empties out the meaning of death for those who trust in Him. Jesus, on the cross, as He dies, He empties out all of death's power. The devil used to hold us by fear of death, yet on the cross, Jesus rips that from him. No longer can you use that tool to scare my people. We were in lifelong slavery because of death. Yet, Jesus on the cross wipes that away from him. And for any of those who trust in Jesus, death is no longer this thing to be feared, but death is something that's just a doorway to get us to our faithful lover, Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Death no longer has its power. Death no longer holds us tight. But death now is a tool. That's why Paul can say, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Death no longer fulfills its purpose because of the death of Christ. Amen? Amen. For those who trust in Jesus, we can confidently not fear death because of His death. But for those of you who do not know Jesus, death still does have the power. Death still will be the final thing that truly separates you from God. But He gives access to all who will call upon Him that He will forgive them. He will bring you peace. He's died on the cross for you. Receive Him. Come to Him. He loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Come to him. Death no longer has to have that power over you. And even for some of you believers, death, the devil has probably been using death to keep you in his grips. Don't give the devil a foothold. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 54. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law of Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So in Christ's death, we can confidently say, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? It's been swallowed up and the work of Jesus. So to us, a son is given. To us, a son is born. What was Eve promised? Eve was promised that a seed, a son would come through her to reverse this curse. And Jesus, we see that Jesus is that offspring who comes and crushes the head through his own death. Yes, his heel was bruised, but it was for the fact that we would be healed that through his wounds we are healed so all of us who come to him we will be forgiven we are forgiven and we can access life the sins of adam no longer bears the weight on us because of our covenant head our representative jesus he succeeded for us because he succeeded we succeed. Amen? And all of us now have peace with God because of the work of the Son. Amen? And so my commission to you guys this week and this month is let's tell the world, let's tell our neighbors, let's tell our culture around us, why do we celebrate Christmas? You know, it's not a mandatory thing. It's not a mandatory thing that we celebrate Christmas. It's fine if you don't. But let's give some theology behind why people are putting lights up. Let's put some theology behind why people talk about this baby Jesus. Because it's the theology behind it that saves. Not a picture of Jesus, not the reality that he was born as a baby. No, the theology saves. Why he came saves. And what he did is what saves us. How will they know unless someone goes So let's preach the gospel this year. And let's not stop in December, but let's use this time that our culture is inviting us to celebrate with them. Let's tell them why we celebrate. For to us, a son is given, and that son is Jesus. And I want to end with just reading the passages that we went over, just in order. You don't have to turn with me if you don't want to. But as I was doing that this week, I just found it really powerful. And important so I'm gonna start in Genesis 3 15 and we'll end with this I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel for to us a child is born to us a son is given but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery." Therefore, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your plan of redemption. Thank You for caring for us. Thank You for seeing us in our sin and having mercy and compassion on us. You did not have to promise Adam and Eve something before You cast them out of the garden. You did not have to bring a seed, an offspring from Eve to crush the head of the serpent. Yet you saw us in our need, and you had compassion on us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you, being gracious, have made us alive together in Christ. By grace, we are saved. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this plan of redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your obedience to the point of death and letting us access life through your work. Thank you for becoming like us and partaking of death for us so that you can free us from the power of the devil. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for making these truths awaken us and free us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being so present with us. I ask that you would help us this morning as we take of the Lord's Supper that it would bless us, be a true means of grace, a way to feed our souls, that it would benefit us and do what you call it to do for us. And please, this this season, help us to have confidence and to do the work that you call us to do. And please let our labor not be in vain. We're confident that it won't be. We praise things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.